Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report. First, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You wanted to talk about something in the compliance or compliance-related field, but really had no idea how to get started? Take a listen from our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, I have back Pat Harned. Pat is the CEO of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. The ECI recently held its Impact 2019 event. We talk about the highlights, the key theme of the high-quality program framework assessment tool, how the Genius Bar facilitated that. A number of vendors seemed ideal for lengthy discussions with compliance professionals. Some of the working groups that came out of the event, what's next for the high-quality program and the framework assessment, and what are some of the upcoming events that folks can look forward to from the ECI. It's a great episode. I know you will enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and the C-Suite Radio Network as well. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. And today I have with me Pat Harned. Pat's the president and CEO of ECI, the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. ECI recently concluded it's 2019 Impact Conference, and that's what Pat and I uh, are going to talk about, both both of our reflections of it, why we thought it was so special, and how perhaps we can uh, take that, uh, what we garnered from this conference throughout the year to the next conference. So, Pat, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, it was a very kind introduction. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to be with you. So, Pat, uh, obviously you had a a much more prominent role at the conference than I did. We both have unique perspectives, but let me perhaps start with one or two of my perspectives uh, and then ask you for some of yours. The size of the conference lent itself to lots of discussions. Um, We've both been to very large conferences, uh, you know, 2,000, 3,000 or more. They can be overwhelming. This certainly wasn't at that size, but the thing that struck me was not simply just the attendees having those conversations, but the vendors actually. I was able to sit down and talk to vendors for, I talked to one vendor for 30 minutes, and for them to have, and and he appreciated that I had the time to sit and literally talk to him for 30 minutes. Uh, I had the chance to to sit and visit with you for a few moments. Brian Benkowski, I I couldn't believe I had him alone for five minutes. Uh, (laughs) So uh, uh, what what were your sort of thoughts around that issue? I do think that in our industry, really in every industry, there are the large conferences and there's a lot of value to them because you do get the breadth of the industry, you have exposure to a lot of different speakers on a lot of different topics and not in any way to, um, I mean, I see the fruit of them and certainly have enjoyed the experience of going to them. But I also agree that part of what made Impact very special was the fact that it was a smaller audience by design, really, because we have found that 
when people have opportunities to be in a room together and the audience isn't too terribly large, there's still that feeling of um, being in the midst of a lot of different colleagues. You can meet lots of different folks from the industry. But then when you're breaking out into breakout sessions and smaller group conversations, you have much more quality time because you're often able to resume conversations that you started in other sessions. So we were really pleased with the way the, um, <clears throat> the size of the group turned out and also just the format of it. Uh, I don't know if it's because I've, I have a restaurant background or why, but I've always been fascinated with the physical layout at a, at a conference. And sometimes the physical layout really, I think, enhances the experience. Sometimes it, it can be negative and, uh, and take away from the experience. I found the physical layout of this conference really enhanced my experience because the, the vendor space wasn't exactly a square, but it was in a contained area that was very close to the main conference room away, uh, on the way to and from the breakout rooms, and it made easy access with lots of different tables, crannies, nooks, places to get a drink of water, a cup of coffee, a, a, a drink, a snack if you wanted, all really in a close space. But it that really seemed to me to, to, to lead to or lend itself to these engaged and ongoing conversations that you mentioned. Hmm. It's something that we've experimented with a fair amount with our events, where to place all of the vendors, how to organize the main plenary room when you have everyone together, even where to place breakout sessions and how to actually set up the room to try to be um, more conducive for conversation. And I think in this particular case, we were able to have all of the vendors showcasing their booths right outside of the place where the plenary was. So it was a, it was a, just a natural progression to go from um, either the exhibit area into the plenary room, but also as you were passing through, we hosted all the meals there, all the receptions there. It's really meant to be a couple of things. One, to have a central gathering place where you just know no matter what's happening in the event, you're going to see other people from the event back in that one area. But it also is very helpful to um, being able to connect with different vendors and consultants and um, see what they're doing and, and be able to interact with them more richly. Pat, the, the theme of this conference was the high quality program HQP, HQP and the framework assessment tool. And uh, everything really uh, kind of wrapped around that, uh, obviously by design, but from an attendee perspective, what I found was it gave us, us, the attendees, the vendors, those participating on behalf of ECI, a topic, a clear theme that we were all engaged in, all talking about that we could move between those different groups and different people and actually continue that conversation. Um, what was kind of your feeling about the discussions around HQP and then uh, how people were able to use the information they obtained from the plenary sessions or the breakouts to continue those discussions? I was very, very pleased with the fact that the tool, the assessment was helpful to give people a common language um, and even just an ability to compare notes in a much more specific way about what they're doing with their programs, what their perceptions are of 
um, areas of strength and area of challenge. Just by way of a little background, as you and I have talked about in other podcasts, we have since 2015 been working first with the Blue Ribbon Panel and then with groups of practitioners to think about when an organization goes beyond the minimum standard and has a program that really is transformational in their organization, what does that look like? What are what are the goals they're trying to accomplish and what are the business objectives that drive it? And so that's how we arrived at the high quality program HQP framework. We had just prior to the conference rolled out a new online assessment tool that allows practitioners to take the HQP assessment and it plots how you think you are doing in the growth of your program, the maturity of your program based on certain principles. So for the conference, we asked everybody, gave them access to the assessment tool, asked them to complete it. People brought their results with them into the sessions and then we framed our benchmarking sessions, our breakout groups a lot to basically talk about how did you do with your HQP assessment and to relate that to best practice in the industry. And it was really, really fruitful. I think people, um, some people were surprised by the end result of their assessment of their program, but even if they, um, you know, in areas of strength, they were able to talk about common practices and where they had gaps, they had something to point to with their colleagues to be able to discuss it and get more feedback. So all things considered, it, it was a very useful, it was a very helpful tool, which was it's the intention to just drive richer conversation among the participants. If I can continue the theme of uh, the continued uh, conversation of the participants and the a plenary session or the panel rather I chaired, one of the things that struck me was Steve Scarpino said that he uses can use the tool internally by having different corporate disciplines take the assessment tool, and the information garnered from that allows him to have a conversation on their perceptions of their company's compliance program. So he, in compliance, has a very different perception of from legal or, or some different from internal audit, from IT, and other corporate disciplines, HR, et cetera. And so uh, I really was intrigued by this, your your thoughts, but also how exactly what you said that the assessment uh, tool will fa- can facilitate a conversation, certainly among compliance officers, but actually within a much broader group uh, in a corporation. Right. That's that's our intention. Is that this tool really has it has multiple uses. One is just as we just did with the impact conference to give practitioners something in common to talk to each other for benchmarking purposes. But internally within an organization, our design is that an ethics and compliance team, members of a team each take the assessment and it it shows how you think you're doing and progressing as a program. But we also are developing a companion question set that can be fielded among business leaders different functional areas in a company that essentially is exploring not so much the actual program elements, program practices, but how well ethics and compliance is being adopted by leaders across the business, how much they're owning their responsibility for the ethics and compliance responsibility in their company, 
and it will map the two together. So it essentially gives your company a way to say, how do we all think we're doing in not only having the nuts and bolts of an effective ethics and compliance program, but in driving its implementation and adoption across the business. So by design, it will give a company from different perspectives, all the different perspectives across the organization, and, and it will hopefully be very helpful for their internal conversations. One other technique that I thought facilitated this conversational tone, once again, I have to assume it was by design, was there was a true paucity or lack of PowerPoints. Uh, and there were certainly some to introduce the audience or a very broad topic. But the presentations, certainly in the plenary sessions, were not about, here are the five things you need to know. And you're going to get a PowerPoint that you can take back with you. It is, let me give you this information and consider how you might use it. And I was really uh, intrigued by that approach. Typically, you don't see that at a conference. It's much more uh, PowerPoint heavy. But the lack of having a PowerPoint, to me, really seemed to drive uh, the conversation, or perhaps as my wife would just say, see, just talk to me. <laughs> I would love to say that we had a no PowerPoint rule, but we actually didn't. Um, what we ended up doing was we knew that we wanted the breakout, we called them benchmarking sessions because we intended for them to be in spirit, an effort by people in the room to sit down together at first and then even further in smaller roundtable discussions to really be comparing notes with each other. So by design, there was not a plan to have a presenter up front who was leading the conversation with the PowerPoint the entire time. If anything, we asked each of our presenters um, to do a very short discussion of what they do in their own organization or their observations about best practice related to the topic for that breakout. And then the rest of the session was roundtable discussions, regrouping together to talk about what was learned. And I wonder if the lack of PowerPoints was in part because each presenter didn't really have as much formal presentation time as they might otherwise, um, but it really did work very well. I think you're right. One of the, I, I do a lot of presentations and I am very dependent on PowerPoint, but you spend a lot of time thinking about the slides and less time really interacting with the audience. And the difference for not having so many decks was that presenters engaged with the audience there was a lot of discussion around the room and it just made for a very different dynamic. And I think for the people that were participating, they came away not only with numbers, hardcore numbers from the HQP assessment tool and the averages that we've collected from people across the industry, but they had really rich conversations in those breakouts. So I was wondering uh, what uh, you th your thoughts were around the Genius Bar. We set up a, so I'm happy to explain it. We had in the exhibit area, a genius bar, which was ECI team members, the people behind the scenes in the creation and the implementation of the HQP assessment. Anybody that had taken the assessment tool had uh, was able to go visit the geniuses, not only to have some further discussion about their individual results, but to see some of the 
more specific breakouts that drove their overall results. And they also got a chance to see a snapshot of where we're going with the tool as it rolls out more broadly. Um, so the Genius Bar, it was, a, it was a very fun place. The staff were certainly into it. They really liked um, having one-on-one -on -one time with practitioners to just see what they were thinking about their own results and to get feedback on the assessment tool. It ended up also just being a, an informal gathering place where people talked about how does the ECI community continue to move forward in making the most of um, how they're doing in building high quality programs. So it became kind of the idea place, which was really fun. Uh, I would only add that anytime you have the chance to have a one-on-one -on -one with David Childers, take it. Exactly. And David Childers was there with the tool. He has been the primary architect behind it. And lots of folks in our industry know he's he has had a long legacy in our field of, of creating some of the great software resources that are out there. So it, it was very fun for a lot of people to be able to talk with him. Can I get a few of your thoughts around the keynote speakers? Uh, because they were each unique. Uh, I thought each was incredibly powerful. And each one of them had a message that I think uh, everyone at the conference uh, can and should take away. Mm -hmm. So we, in putting together the keynotes presentations, some of them were very directly related to the HQP framework and the tool. Others less so. It's always nice to have people who have no connection to our industry, people from outside altogether coming and offering a different perspective that we can still apply. So we began with Brian Benchkowski from the Department of Justice, of course, and he, um, you know, he made news for us by announcing the release of the new DOJ guidance for evaluation of ethics and compliance programs. Um, to me, to me, it was a, a, an interesting irony that he was announcing the guidelines for the minimum standard expectation for an ethics and compliance program at a conference where we were talking about how do you have the high quality program that assumes and you know it's not um, not avoiding DOJ guidance but hopefully goes well beyond that. So it really actually really made for an interesting kickoff to the entire conference and it was something his remarks we were referring to throughout the event. Um, of course, we had your panel with the original creators of the HQP framework, the folks that designed and mapped the maturity model for an HQP and having their perspective of the conversations that they've had, what went into their thinking about designing a maturity model that consists of five major steps. I think it really helped folks to understand why the HQP is framed in terms of principles and how we're, we're starting to measure quality and ethics and compliance. Um, we heard from Amy Edmondson, who is from Harvard, who's done, she's had a tremendous amount of, of research coming out around creating fearless organizations. Um, creating an, an environment where people are willing to speak up is certainly a critical element of a high quality program. And I think hearing her perspective of management and how you can help employees to not feel fear in speaking up was really very useful. Um, 
I'm interested too in your your thoughts about some of these presenters as well and some of the the thoughts that they added. Um, we also had a, a Sam Silverstein, who I know has, I think, believed did a podcast with you, Tom. Right. And he approached the topic of accountability a little differently from the way we tend to talk about it in our field. We think of accountability meaning when you broke the rule, when you break the rules, there is discipline. You are held accountable for it. But he also talked about accountability from the perspective of an individual. How do I? How do I accept my own responsibility for my behavior? And as a manager, how do I cultivate that in my employees? And I think that was a different dimension, but it helped our conversations about a culture of accountability more broadly. We've got a few minutes left, but I was wondering if you might have a few thoughts on either uh, information or things you picked up at the conference that uh, ECI may take into the future or, or where the HQP and the assessment tool might be going based upon uh, anything that happened at the conference? So for us, we part of the value, what we were aiming for with the impact conference was to make sure that people who come had a really rich experience that they're, for us, it's not about, um, you know, do we have, well, if for the biggest measure of success is do people come away saying that it was a worthwhile investment of their time? And I think we heard that, but from a staff perspective, we also came away with a tremendous amount of feedback and ideas for where we go with the HQP tool. Um, we are intending that impact will be the annual event where organizations can take the HQP assessment tool. Participants will again be able to, to, to update their findings to see where they are and then come to that event and benchmark their program. We, we started to adopt a tagline of the ultimate in benchmarking event, and that's our intention going forward as well. Um, the HQP assessment itself, we talked about this a little bit already. We've had a number of organizations reach out to us to, to implement that assessment more deeply in their own organization and inviting business leaders to be a part of it across the different functions of their companies. So we are going to be expanding the HQP assessment tool. We're also creating a number of working groups of practitioners um, and we'll be putting out a public call for folks who wanna participate in this to review the question set in the HQP to help us improve uh, questions where they're in need of some, if they're in need of tweaking, but we need to do things like now that there's new guidance from the DOJ to ensure that we have captured all of those expectations in the HQP framework. Um, so going forward, I think our community will see that the HQP assessment tool is a reflection of the priorities and conversations and input of our members. And impact is the annual event where you're taking a moment, sending your team, to actually come away with some sense, sense of benchmarks where you are in the maturity of your program. So it's exciting. We uh, can't have asked for a better conference and certainly for us to come away really inspired and also with some great feedback, it makes it a tremendous success. Well, Pat, that seems like a great note to end on. Uh, I, I too was uh, inspired and honored to be a, a part of it. And I look forward to not only continuing the conversation, but continuing to work with uh, you and ECI to move forward in all these areas. 
Well, and I want to thank you, Tom, especially for coming and leading the plenary discussion. It was It's an honor for us to have you there, and certainly you were a tremendous asset to the success of the event. So thank you for being there, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you'd like more information on the <clears throat> ethics and compliance initiatives, high quality program framework assessment tool, check out their website, which is available at www.ethics.org. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join me again next week where we take up another topic in compliance and ethics going forward. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, and I'm now proud to announce part of the C-Suite Radio Network. Check us out on those sites. I look forward to continuing the conversation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.